This is a Big Timing Comedy production. Welcome backstage. Uh, I'm here to interview Black Sabbath. I'm a journalist. VIP only. Groupies sleep with rock stars because they want to be near someone famous. We're here because of the music. We are band-aids. Are you jumping or am I undermedicated? You're listening to Backstage Pass with Meredith Marks. I'm with the band, okay? This is a very special episode, episode 19, and we are all about Bill Champlin and Tamara Champlin. Every once in a while, something happens that really impacts your life. When I started this show in June of 2017, I said, I have two people that I have dreams of interviewing. Just, I can't imagine it ever happening, but I sure as heck am going to try. And tonight, I got him. Bill Champlin is by far one of my most favorite voices ever. And growing up, the Chicago 19 album was my favorite album of all time. It surpassed any album that I had ever heard at that particular young age. And I had heard a lot because I grew up in a musical family and I got played a lot of different genres. But when I heard Chicago 19, which was really all about Champlin and Chef, that album, I felt that album. Sometimes you play an album and you just connect with it. And it was the vocals. I mean, I love Chicago. Of course, everybody knows I love Chicago. But the vocals that came through on that album for me, I will never forget the first time that I heard that. And going, who is that? And mind you. There's goosebumps, I see. I think they're goosebumps. (laughs) Mind you, I was only nine years old when this album came out. And I remember flying back and forth to Florida to visit my grandparents. And I had, I was very excited, Mikey, because I had my very first little individualized CD player, travel CD player with a little CD holder Mm -hmm. that my parents had bought me for the holidays. And the very first album that they got me for that was the Chicago 19 album. And so I would play that flying back and forth to Florida. And I was calm on that flight, just closing my eyes and taking every song in. Lyrics, vocals, everything. And uh, I have loved Bill Champlin ever since I was nine years old. And I never imagined that I would get to sit down in his dressing room with him and his beautiful wife, Tamara, and, and ask him questions. Uh, I think I was floating on a cloud. It was somewhat of an out-of-body experience for me, but it happened. He is so incredibly talented. He is a songwriter and a producer, and he, of course, you know, his vocals are insane and a musician, multi-instruments, and so incredibly talented. And I didn't even know where to start, but I wanted to talk to you about... uh, the album that he sent me, No Place Left to Fall. I popped this into my car and I went driving because that's what I like to do when I get an album from an artist. I I pop it in my car. I can't concentrate at home. I have the dog and the kids. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you just have to go on the open road, throw it into your car and just drive and listen and you can focus. And I loved song two, Tugging on Your Sleeve. Such a cool song, different Really different than you would ever expect from Bill Champlin. 
for me, I mean, I'm not used to hearing him and that side of him, but I like tugging on your sleeve. It's cool. And the title track, No Place Left to Fall. Um, of course, I loved that. But as I'm going through, you know, song five, six, seven and eight, I come to song nine and it was just, you know, a, an oldie, but a goodie. It was a familiar friend to me. And I love the arrangement. Let's just take a quick listen to Look Away. goosebumps all over my entire body like the voice of bill champlin my god unless it's three voices <sighs> it's crazy his his harmonies with himself are perfect he is so good and and live recorded it doesn't matter he's so good that voice nobody comes close sorry it's just he's he's unbelievable it runs in the family. His wife, Tamara, is incredibly talented. She was a studio musician and uh, sings backing and duets with him. And she was just on the stage with Michael McDonald. Always comes back to Michael McDonald. Always does. I told Mike that. I said, dude, every single interview I do comes back to you. He just sat there and laughed. And Tamara will love that. Uh, so she, she is incredible as well. And their son, Will, uh, graduated from the Berklee College of Music in Boston. Oh, well. And and. I told him, I told him that I graduated from college, you know, in Boston, but, um, I graduated from Dean, which is not Berkeley, but still it's good. It's good school. And he was on the voice. (laughs) (laughs) He was on the voice season five. He came in third place. Wow. I forgot to ask who his coach was. I bet you it was Blake. Was Blake in season five? Blake's in all the seasons. I don't know. I'll have to ask him that. I don't know. But that was really cool. The next time you interviewed them. I will. I, know I will. You, I know you will. I'm not done. I have more to. I have more to talk to him about. 
But when I got um, introduced to Bill, originally it was through email. And I have to be honest, um, his demeanor through email is just awesome. He is the nicest, kindest, sweetest person. And uh, I'm tearing up even saying that because he was telling me how he went through a, a really big battle personally. He was really sick with cancer. Mm. And at the time I was conversing with him, I just lost my uh, really good friend to cancer who uh, was like a second mom to me. And I was telling him about her and he was telling me about his story. And um, I will never forget just conversing through a simple email with Bill Champlin and uh, just feeling his energy through the computer. Um, what a guy, just such a, just such a wonderful person. And I really enjoyed that start to uh, getting to know him. And then of course, meeting him in person just surpassed all of that mm -hmm. because he's just awesome. So he is much better and he is super alive on stage, man. He is not going anywhere anytime soon. I told him he's not allowed to. Mm -hmm. I, I will not allow him to go anywhere. So he kicked cancers behind. He is back full force. He looks great. And I have to tell you, he has a gorgeous head of hair. <laughs> he has the most gorgeous head of hair. I didn't run my fingers through it because I thought that would be really weird. But he really does have a gorgeous head of hair. So here, <laughs> here's me crashing into the Wonderful uh, Harrah's Casino, Atlantic City dressing room of Bill and Tamara Champlin. All right, backstage pass at Harrah's Casino in Atlantic City. And this is exciting for me because this one is the biggie for me. I have loved this person uh, since I was a kid and have always listened to his music. And to me, personally, one of the greatest songwriters and one of the all-time greatest uh, vocals you could possibly hear is Mr. Bill Champlin and his wife Tamara Champlin. Hi. Hi. Hello. Thank you for coming on my show. Oh, absolutely. No, no problem at all. Thanks for having us. <laughs> so let's talk about, you sent me some CDs and I want to talk about No Place Left to Fall that you put out in 2008. Mm -hmm. I was listening to it and I got kind of like a bluesy vibe, which I wasn't used to hearing from you personally. Well, not, not from Chicago. Not from Chicago, yeah. But, they come from the blues center of the world. They never do blues. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Weird. But, but I loved go. it. I loved well, it, you. and I loved the title track. Um, and then, you know, of course, you thank get you. further no, away. Tamara, Tamara co-wrote that. Tamara co-wrote it. Perfect. Yeah. I loved it. It was fantastic. I was grooving to it in my car, and the kids were listening to it, and they really liked it. I've got twin 11-year-olds, so they were really feeling it. Twins? Twins. Lucky. Yes, yes. Double And they're how, 11? 11. Ooh, you got another couple of years before I know. it hits Oh, the no, fan. it's already starting. Already it's already starting. starting. Yeah, there you go. So the cool thing was is when we were continuing to play uh, the album, and it got to the acoustical version of Look Away, um, two little voices in the back seat started singing, and they knew every word. And that better made, than me that yeah. made my heart so happy so i loved the album tell me about making the album and um what kind of because you had guest appearances from steve lukather from toto mm -hmm. you had peter satara from chicago yeah, and michael some backgrounds on one tune yeah yeah we just did some backgrounds together just some backgrounds it's fun to hit the microphone with peter right yeah yeah brought back some old times great singer Sweetie. Oh, amazing. Yeah. And Michael English and Jerry Lopez. So that was really a fun album. And, of and course, the whole Santa Fe horn section. Yeah. So, uh, Fat City Horns were on it, too. I loved it. I love I love songs. Well, they played on uh, Stone Cold Hollywood, which may be one of my favorite songs on the record. That was fun. That's funkier than a three-day-old band-aid, you know? Yeah. Lyrics are a little caustic. <laughs> no, it was fun. I liked that song. And I just remember it's kind of like... A fun little ride. Some yeah. is blues and some is kind of funk. And I liked that because it gives people some different sides of you. Which side do you see Bill Champlin well, really making? Lately, I've, you know, here I am as old as I am and I've discovered rock and roll. You know, lately I've spent more time playing guitar and cranking it, letting it fly a little bit. So, I mean, so the new project that Tamara and me and a friend of mine, Gary Falcone, is a great lead guitar player. Uh, the three of us wrote, co-wrote, and put together a whole new project. We're calling it Bad Penny. Uh, we're actually calling the album Bleeding Secrets, which is the title of one of the songs. And uh, we, we co-wrote almost the whole record. I think I wrote a couple by myself. 
uh, well, actually one on, on what's yeah. going to end up being the final album. We got two in the in the can just for bonus tracks. Of Japan usually asks for, give us two extra songs. Okay, I got two already done. So uh, we're uh, that that thing is is sort of kind of I'm leaning toward rock at this stage of the game. <laughs> yeah, this album that we did, we, uh, Gary. I mean, it was kind of a, a kind of a healing album because Bill was going through a lot of. Uh, yeah, medical had, stuff and, a lot of medical and he stuff was kind of not feeling sometimes he you know he'd feel bad for a week mm -hmm. but then he started coming out of it and Gary would come over and he'd, we, he'd start playing a little idea on guitar then I'd start writing some lyrics with him and Bill would come in and Bill would just like go Vroom, and it would just blossom and it became they all each song just kind of progressed and became this this thing uh, just just the three of us and it and it was really kind of kind of, kind of got him me. out of his, you know, helped him go through chemo and everything he was going through. Cathartic for you. Right? Yeah, it really yeah. Was, a, it was a nice. Was just I mean, instead of just sitting there feeling sorry yeah. for myself, I'd go to work. Yeah. Because I had a bad year last year. I mean, in the, the last part of 2016, I lost. I was diagnosed with uh, with prostate cancer on Monday, and my older son died on Tuesday. So it was a bad week, and it's just sort of made the whole year ugly. You know. So I'm just kind of coming out of that, and uh, you know we've been getting good good numbers on the on the you know the cancer business because you know we, we thank goodness well yeah because I mean, you have a lot more to do it took a while yeah. you can't go anywhere Not a lot. And usually the usually the you know they'll remove the prostate and it's over mm -hmm. uh, they've still found some more cancer so then I had to do radiation and chemo so I did phase one phase two phase three and kicked my butt pretty hard you know what I mean. So, I mean, that was, you know, I called up Danny and different people that I work with on a regular basis. I, I can't can't see myself traipsing through airports at this point of the game. It just ain't going to happen. I'm just too, I'm too funky right now. So we kind of stopped, I stopped working for, God, I'm maybe six months. And then I just started picking up, picking up steam. And while we were, while we were in that, I was, the studio is a different story. I just walk up to my guest house and get in my, at my workstation and put, do that much work and then go to Gary's studio. Which it, it used to be Devonshire Studio in, in North Hollywood. Now it's a Salami Studio. It's like a, a post house, but Cute it's the when it was a, when it was actually a recording studio for music was the first place I ever recorded in Los Angeles with Mike Stewart. Wow! It was right after he he had a couple of uh, records with Billy Joel. And Bill and, and Gary that. Falcone is a, he bought the place. He's a, yeah, he runs the studio, but he's a great singer too, a real high voice and. Sang on a lot of records and great, great. It's like having but Jason also, or Peter. We also found out he's you a want great, high notes, you got it. Yeah, he's a very cool guitar player and plays as melodic as he sings, and and it's just very unique. And and what we came up with together was really, really yeah. kind of cool. It's yeah. really different. And so everybody that's heard is going, "This is fun. This is really fun." And and the songs are, you know, there's a lot of music, but there's a lot of singing and a lot of lyrics that are that are. Rocket. It's just, you know, we're just really excited about it. Yeah. Well, to me, lyrics are everything. Yeah. And your lyrics that you guys come up with are amazing. Thank you. I mean, and music is healing for so many people, and people really rely on those lyrics. So you have to get into a place where you can really put something out that you're well, proud of. Well, I mean, of. the original Sons was all about lyrics. Mm -hmm. And all, it was all about a certain time, uh, politically and spiritually in the United States, especially where they, all these, everybody was taking acid doing weed and you know I mean that whole it was in the middle of that explosion which was the late 60s and early 70s and, uh, and I was writing to that when I started writing so I mean I found myself you know kind of being known as this guy can write some stuff you, you wrote know. that whole first album just all but one pen song and paper, right? yeah pen and paper just no write I wrote no. the changes up but I didn't have a guitar I didn't have anything I just wrote you know I had I had hash Hash, pencil, and paper, and that's it. That's I wrote the whole record that way. When you first started touring, what was that like? When well, was that? I mean, when the, when the Suns first started touring, we're talking about 67, 68. 68. In that era there, we, we just did a breakdown. We did a two-month tour where we, where we got two hotel rooms once a week. And the rest of the time, it was like we were either taking a sleeping bag and sleeping on the on the oh. dance hall floors, yeah. or you know, he would say, "Hey, just go home and find one of these girls and go home with her." I said, uh, yeah, "I'm married. I don't do that." So I mean, at the, I mean, not to Tamara at the time, but I mean, 
And I did do that, but not on this, not in this particular tour. So, I mean, it was, it was really. Okay, I did. Yeah. Okay. I actually did do that, but that's a different story. That was back then, and that was then, and this so is now. long ago. There we go. We've gone, doing so well, and then, gutter ball. There you go. Down she goes. Anyway. Tell me about how you two met. At a, at a club. A friend of mine had a, had a regular club gig, David Boroff, a sax player, played on, uh, on uh, the David Foster... Uh, St. Elmo's Fire. St. Elmo's Fire. Oh. He was the sax player that did that love theme. It was yeah. a big, great, great sax player, Fantastic. great musician. But he had a, he had a band uh, working at a place called Flying Jib and Encino. And, and he called me and said, hey, there's this girl that's coming down to sing, you know, sing with us tonight. you got to come here. She's great. So and I, went and down I had just been in town and, and I had friends saying, you, they, I just had a little three-song demo I'd done in Houston before I came out, and Keith Landry, who had been singing backgrounds with Toto, he said, "You got to meet Champlin." Okay, you got to meet Champlin. And then it kept every, you know, and so we, then we ended up running into each other at yeah. the Flying Jib, and kind of stuck. Of course, it was around music. <laughs> and that was in in 1983. No, eighteen ninety six. It probably seems like that, right? <laughs> I think it was 1980. I think it was 1980. 1980 yeah. Okay, so right, ask... right after the Grammys, right after the first, the first Grammy. You guys realize that you're highly unusual. Yeah. Okay, because this, just, this does not usually Well, she's beautiful, happen. and I got a great face for radio. That's how... It's no. a perfect mixture. It's a perfect mixture. Well, you know, how does that work? Because through his different parts of his career and your different parts of your career and then raising your children. Well, it was a little crazy. Well, you know, when you've been on the road for a, a really long time and and I was on the road and recording and stuff like that. It was, it was a little stressful. But, you know, you just, I don't know. Somebody said, how do you stay? I think Olivia Harrison was asked that. Somebody said, how do you stay married? You know, to George Harrison. You don't get divorced. You know, you just... You know, just well, kudos to both of you. Very admirable. Well, we get along. You know, oh, yeah. and we laugh an awful lot. That's awesome. And we like the we like our doggies, and everything's fine. Hey, dogs make everything better, right? Well, no, I don't know. Well, <laughs> mine are bad. I have bad dogs. We got bad dogs. I have I have good doggy. No. They're um, pretty, but they're bad. So, I've got to ask, what is your Bill Champlin pet peeve? Oh God. Mm. <laughs> no, no. Oh, now's the time to just let it out. <laughs> well, gee. Before a gig? What are you, nuts? <laughs> oh, oh, no, maybe no. this is not the best time to ask that question. <laughs> I couldn't even, you know, I mean, gosh, you know, let's see, how long have we been together? She's having a hard time 36. coming up with something. Maybe she's saying you're perfect. Yeah, he's perfect. Use this to your advantage, okay? Okay, I'm shutting up right now. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know. He doesn't open the mail. You know, what can I say? He doesn't even open the mail. That's, I bring it in. That's, I bring it in. I, 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 I have to stress in. out all over the bills. He doesn't even look at it. When we, were, when we first started living when together, he, sees him, he goes out of his mind. We, we were going out to restaurants an awful lot. And at one point in the game, I said, well, let's eat at home. She says, I love to cook. I'm a really good cook. I just don't like to clean up. I said, well, I'll clean it up. I was talking about that night. <laughs> and I'm still doing dishes. <laughs> I'm the, I'm the designated really dish doer. Yeah. But, you know, you don't even need a dishwasher when you've got Bill there because he's like some clean that's so good. Good. you got the cook, it's you have like the cleaner. It's perfect. Yeah, it's that is true. That We don't even have a kitchen, kitchen right, right now. now. We don't We're have a kitchen. We're our kitchen, and they came in and gutted it. And it's like, we haven't even ordered anything. See, it's a good thing you're in Atlantic <laughs> City. <laughs> yes. Away from that. Yeah. <laughs> well, we got in really late last night. Got the last bit of room service. Room service, and it was like, oh, we just ordered everything on the menu. It cost us a the mint. Over $100. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah, like it was for two stupid. salads and yeah. onion soup. So yeah. I was sitting with Bobby Kimball in New York on Monday. Oh, good. Oh, yeah. And he loves to chat. Is that what you were talking with him, right? Yeah, I was talking with Bobby Kimball. And, and he said, oh, yeah, the Champlins and I, we're, we're neighbors. And we oh. walk to each other's houses. We're like five houses away or something, and we have dinner no, together. Not quite. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Jazz, we did, when we lived in Sherman Oaks, we were very, very close, you know, physically very close. And Jasmine, his wife, has a, a dog rescue. And so, and we are very, we, we were really good friends. And, and um, 
And then when we did the, the rock pack and stuff, I sing with Bobby and, and you know, Bill plays with him. And we're, we're all really good friends. We're very close. And, you know, it's just that we're all on the road at different times right now. But right. Really well, then you beat friends. me to the punch because I was about to segue into rock pack. You have a gig coming up in May in Florida, mm -hmm. and that's including Bobby Kimball, yourself, John, a member of Journey. John Elefante and uh, Kevin Shelfant, who wasn't actually in wasn't Journey, injured. but he does the Journey material like insanely great. Because he was in a band with uh, the Storm with Greg Raleigh, yeah. and and then he does his own tribute thing, kind of with the Journey. But he sings that stuff great. He has played with them, you know, in rehearsal and stuff when yeah. they didn't have a singer. Yeah. But he doesn't claim to be from formerly a Journey. You know, they, they did post that, and it was like, yeah. I was trying to clarify it to some people. I said, he doesn't ever say that. Wow. Somebody in Mexico posted that, yeah. you know. Right. You never know what the... But the Kevin can sing. He's, he's, he's amazing. And John Elefante was, did all the stuff with Candace. Yes. And he's a major piece of work. So good. He's I'm sure. He's a great singer. Great I'm sure. Singer. Yeah. Well, you the people they get to... Because he... They, I, they, I should The singers that. are so much fun. It's just so much fun singing with everybody. It Hopefully seems like, we get the Costa Rican band on that one. <laughs> That would oh, be wow. great because these guys are good. It seems like today there are a lot more. I want to. Sometimes people like the term, sometimes people don't. Supergroups. Yeah. It seems there are a lot of people that have great admiration for each other, come together and put on a great show. For instance, tonight with Ambrosia mm -hmm. and Orleans and Stephen Bishop and you guys. Hey, well, Do you Burley, enjoy that? Burley played oh, yeah. on some of my some of our new. Burley albums. played on some of our new. And albums. him and Mary are going to probably be in our band when we when we try to get that one and see if we see if we can get some kind of uh, you know uh, situation going where we can play live with that band. And that 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 music will tear you up when you hear it. It'll knock you out. It's really good. Yeah. Does it maybe make touring a little bit easier to go out with some of your friends? I decided at the end of my era of twenty eight years with a band that was unhappy with me and I was unhappy with them that from here on in if I'm not happy with the players I'm playing with and the singers I'm singing with I ain't doing it I just don't want to do it this music this is music it's supposed to make you happy you're supposed to be yeah. I mean my idea of a great album is you walk in you see four or five guys and they're all listening to it going hey this is great when they're knocked out instead of we need a hit you know and that's that's what the other stuff turned out to be. So let me ask you the ultimate question then. Are you having fun? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. What do you enjoy more, writing or singing? I know it's tough to answer that. But it's all one thing. Yeah. You know, and playing. You know, I'm probably primarily known for being an organ player more than anything else. But on this last album, I think I got maybe organ parts and then four out of 13 songs. I heard that organ. We were driving with the kids, like I said, and we're listening to it, and all of a sudden, one of the songs comes on, I forgot which one it was, and the organ, you hit it hard, and I said, oh, he's taking us to church, kids, he's yeah. taking us to church. It's probably the first song, uh, probably the first song, um, uh, Total Control. Yeah. Because that's a big B3. It's it was great. It was just great. Yeah, it was the first song on the record. Well, it's on the, um, uh, what's the funky thing that you and Will and I did? Tugging, on, tugging your on your sleeve. I loved tugging on your sleeve. Yeah. I did too. Me I thought and, it was me really. Me and Will and Michael Caruso wrote that. I loved. The, I thought it was and really it was so fun. Funny. And I said, "You want to write some of this?" And I went, "There's three of you guys doing this. Mm -hmm. If you need me to write on another another person, it doesn't need to be written." It's like you guys have got it going on. Well, I went down. And they thought they had a song. I said, "You don't have a chorus yet." So I just <laughs> wrote a chorus and threw. How about throwing this right in here? They went, "Okay." And that was the end of that. I liked it. It was a really fun concept. Yeah. I, I enjoyed listening to it. Yeah. I did. All right. So we talked about goosey moments. Right here, right now, is a huge goosey moment for me. What has been a goosey moment for you two? Goosey? Did you say goosey moment? A goosey moment where you look down and you have goosebumps up and down your uh, arms and you go, wow, this when is I happening. When I was maybe 20, 21 years old. We were the sons were playing a gig at the Shrine Auditorium in New York, uh, L.A., and it was they had two different stages, and it was Yardbirds. I think Jimmy Page might have been playing with them at the time. Maybe, maybe not. I'm not. But it was Yardbirds, BB King, and us. And BB had had worked a deal, and their promoter had worked a deal where BB would use our Hammond, and their player would would put his pedals in, and and they would 
you know, he would just play with pedals. He's no bass player. On after our first set, blew the fuse in the hammock, and they had to go on. Somebody went out to get a fuse, but they weren't going to come back in time to do the next thing. So, promoter comes up to our dressing room and says, "BB needs a bass player." And my bass player in the sons goes over to grab his Ampeg fretless, and I and I went over to him and says, "Al, have you ever heard of BB King?" He said, "No." I said, "Can you name me one BB King song?" He said, "No." I said, "Give me that." <laughs> so I went downstairs and played a set with BB King. On bass, which is not even you know, and it was a fretless bass too. But luckily, I had dots, so I was pretty, I was pretty cool. Plus, I took string bass in, in high school, so I kind of knew the positions and knew sort of my way around an instrument. And I played with with Sonny Freeman, who was the drummer. So it was BB, Sonny, two horn players, and me. And it was, I mean, never has have I been so knocked out. I mean, I got, I got my shuffle lesson for the work for the year. I mean, Sonny just went, oh, no, 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 I'll be here when you get back. Oh, I got it down, back. Here's where it lives. And uh, it just never, it was always just so great. Is there yeah. a YouTube video of that somewhere floating oh, around? No, I don't think so. It was a long time ago. <laughs> a long time ago. A long time ago. I was 20 years old. It was back in the 1800s, I think. <laughs> and dinosaurs were roaming. Yeah, what, what's a goosey moment for you, Tamara? Oh, I think, I guess during that libero show that we just did up in Santa Barbara, before the floods and the mudslides and all that, the fires, we did a, um, a benefit for, a, a, it's called TRAP, and our friend Eddie Chiduri has um, a school that he, he started for his own healing from a spinal injury that he had. He started this school for children with autism and, and Down syndrome, teaching them through percussion. And, and it bring really, kids out. But it really brings them into communicating with, you know. Just the Rhythm really, Arts Project. It's a Rhythm Arts Project, yeah. So it was his 20th, 20th year anniversary of this, this school that he's been going around the world teaching with. And I used to sing in the band with him, but so we were all playing. We had Michael McDonald and Bill, and Bill did taking it to the streets with him, and <laughs> I got to sing, um, I got to sing Let's, Let's Stay, Stay Together, together a duet with Michael. And it was like, okay. <laughs> it was, I'm singing, was a, I'm singing a duet with Michael McDonald. Oh, yeah. And it was, every, it was awesome. It was like one, one year they didn't film this. And I was like, what? I was going, oh, don't worry. They filmed it. <laughs> yeah. They didn't film it. Yeah, I know. Oh, wow. That was really, that was a pretty much a goosebump moment. It was kind of nice. So cool. Mm. So cool. Yeah. What could we look for? Michael, Michael can sing time, news, and weather. It was beautiful. He's darling. He's amazingly great. You he, could sing the, the end, phone book, and I would listen to at it. At the end of the of the set, basically, he goes out to the piano by himself and sings in a really high key. He sings "What the World Needs Now Is Love." There was not a dry eye in the house. It was just kaboom, man! Instant. He does that McDonald. in an amazing way. Oh, it just scares you. You do know my brother is his tour manager. Really? Yes. Cool. Michael's tour manager. Yeah. What's his name? Todd Goldstein. Todd. Oh my goodness! Yeah. I'll see him next Friday in uh, West Virginia. Cool. I'll see Michael. Well, tell him hi. West Virginia. And Amy is, uh, I, is a doll. I Amy's back at the microphone. It's I'm great really to see happy her singing again. Singing with... You know, I have to tell you, when I asked Amy the question of what's your Michael McDonald pet peeve, she jumped in immediately and said, have you ever driven with somebody who rides the brake? <laughs> She was very quick to well, answer. I love she's, her. She's, <laughs> I'm a lead foot. <laughs> she's a lead foot, and I'm actually going kind of slower. I had a I had a, a ticket that ended up costing me almost 500 bucks one time, and the, and the policeman said, "Bill, are you in that much of a hurry?" And I went, "Yeah, she's right. He says, You're, it's dangerous. <laughs> You're just being dangerous. Why?" And and I'd never had it quite the question hit me like that from a policeman, you know, from a high California highway patrolman. I went, oh, well, you know, you're right. So ever since then, I've been kind of slowing down a little bit. You, you should know. write a song about it. What's your hurry? Yeah, what the fuck is the, what What's is your the hurry? rush? <laughs> What's your rush? <laughs> okay, so tell me about um, winning two Grammy Awards. Give people kind of a glimpse into what's that like to actually receive Grammy Awards. The awards, awards that I won were afternoon awards, not not televised awards, uh, R&B Song of the Year. And the first one was for uh, co-writing After the Love is Gone. Mm -hmm. And the second one was two years later uh, for co-writing Turn Your Love Around, the George Benson song. And uh, 
the first one was great. It was right before I met Tamara. I went, you know, we kind of, you know, it was afternoon. I went in there and went backstage, got my award and all, you know, which the minute the cameras are off, you give it back and they send it to you in the mail. Right. Right. But, uh, and then the next one, I was so busy working on the next one that I didn't get a limousine. I forgot to get a limousine to go to the, to the shrine. And we got there late. So I got there about maybe 20 minutes after I, after the award was given. And Steve Lukather and Jay Graydon went back and got their, got their award you know, backstage and did, the, did some press and stuff like that. And Tamara and I walked in, and uh, James, James Newton Howard's wife, at the time, she said, Bill, you won. And I, I was going, how, how could I win? We were up against Stevie Wonder. But we were against two Stevie Wonder songs. Wow. So they canceled it, you know. So they kind of, like, they kind of, ha- they split theirs in half, and it was the year that Toto got swept it. They swept it the, with Toto four, and Lukather was one of the writers on Turn Your Love Around. So I don't think it, in the in that category, CBS, which was Toto's label, didn't have a they didn't have a, a horse in that race, right? They, they didn't have a record in that thing. So I think the the CBS voting block voted for Luke. Basically, you know, so I mean, a lot of things came together on that song, and we got really lucky on a lot of levels. I mean, when it was released, the thing got to number one, and it hit the Christmas freeze on radio, which means you get two extra weeks. Mm. So we hit it that year, and I was just going, hey, this is the way it's supposed to happen. <laughs> one record gets that every year, one record. You know, wow. whoever's at number one stays at number one. You got lucky. Yeah, so we got, you know, it was going to probably rightfully would have had two weeks at number one. We ended up with four. Which was really cool. It's <laughs> it amazing. Yeah. Well, everybody's going to want to know what do you do with the Grammy Awards? Where are they in your house? Uh, on the, on, on the mantle. Yeah. On the mantle. Yeah. Okay. It's very cool. Because some, sometimes people I like to know. Very, I think it's kind of a, a career changing thing. I mean, yeah. it really makes things. It really does. Yeah. It kind of puts you on a whole different level. Well, yeah. In, in, you know, they've, they've been trying. I mean, this is R&B Song of the Year. There has been talk of unloading the whole category. It's like as they and they tried to do that with uh, Latin jazz, and Carlos went through the roof. Carlos Santana, mm-hmm. so you've taken Latin jazz <laughs> off as as a total category. You can't do that. And I think a lot of it is just certain kinds of music. You know, uh, black music in general, hip hop is kind of usurped most of the space, and R and B has kind of become the slow song. And, you know, it's not exactly what I consider R&B. You know, think Otis Redding, that's R&B. Think early Aretha, that's R&B. Yeah. You know, and not just slow songs. You know, some of Luther's records, really R&B. Uh, good, There's some good crossovers good, there, right? somewhat educated stuff, yeah. you know, but grooving, grooving hard. And that's that's kind of what I've always thought R&B mm-hmm. was, and, it's, it's, and I've... Whenever I speak of R&B, sometimes I see somebody younger and they're looking at me like, huh? You know, I mean, I saw, I met when Will was in high school, this was quite a while back. He had a young rapper kid over at the house one time. And I said, well, you know, this sounds, seems like you want to track sort of like Earth, Wind, and Fire. And the kid goes, who? I said, or Sly Stone? Who? He didn't even know who I was talking about. Yeah. I said, Stevie Wonder. He said, yeah, my dad liked him. And I just went, ooh, here we go. You can't hang out with him. <laughs> <laughs> Stay away from him. I remember when Will came home and he says, well, listen, listen to these grooves that P. Diddy comes up with. And I, and I hear a, a drum loop, like a two-bar drum loop, over and over again. So, and it, it happened to be the, a drum loop that was, that was lifted from an Isley Brothers record. I went out and found out where my box of, of LPs were. I dug through and I found the actual record. And I, at the time I had a turntable. I put it on and I played it for Will. I says, Recognize the, recognize the two bars? Well, guess what? This drummer played eight minutes. Wow. And, he play, and I played it for him, and, and he went, oh, wow, that's really wow. cool. It was probably one of the best things that ever happened to his musicianship. Because he went, oh, that's, that's better. Yeah. That's better. This feels better than, than what this riff was, you know? Yeah. You know? Because, it, you know, it was, mm-hmm. it was all perfected, you know, instead of just... You know, I think it was something like Fight the Power or one of those great Isley songs that just tear you up. I mean, you know, Ronnie Isley, the singer on a, on a number one hit in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 
90s, and they had a number one album in 2003. I remember that. Yeah, that uh, actually, uh, who's the guy that got in, in trouble? R. Kelly actually produced the record. And, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, yes. 90s, and in the, you know, in the first, somewhere in the first 10 years. Success through the decades is such That's an important ridiculous. thing to have. I yeah. mean, you know, Chicago kind of goes, whoa, we've had hits since da da da. Beat the Isleys. You know, the Isleys have torn it up for years. Yeah. You know? New Jersey guys. So that was Will's friend, but Will himself, who's a musician. Yeah. The both of you, did you raise him on different genres of music? Oh, yeah. You yeah. exposed him early to Will everything? Will probably learned more from my friends than he did from me. You know? Really? Oh, yeah. I mean, because I, mean, I got guys, Greg Matheson, yeah. Tom Saviano taught him a lot of stuff, a lot of really great musicians. Wow. You know, and then at some point in the game, he was, he's really, he was really talented, but he just wasn't paying attention. And I think what it was is piano teachers were boring him to tears. I finally, when he, I think around when he was maybe between sophomore and junior years, I got him with a guy named Terry Trotter. And, and Trotter went, I don't ever use two kids because they just never do what you want them to do. And he was a Trotter. Trotter's an insanely great he only, player. He worked with adult jazz players. He says, like, I, I, he says, he's the guy that people go to when they get into bad habits. You know, major players get in bad habits with, you know, and Terry goes in and just kind of sit up straight, get, your, get his thing. So I went, you know, within a month, Will was playing Bill Evans stuff. I mean, jazz, major jazz stuff. And, you know, and he would go in and practice for four to five hours. Wow. Because Terry made yeah. him happen. You know, and it was just, it just, it was just another classic example of a good teacher could make shit go. Yeah. Really make stuff go. Cool. And, uh, and, and Will just, you know. And then, and he, then went, he went to camp, uh, summer camp, when he was like 16 at uh, Berkeley. Uh, Berkeley College of Music in Boston. Yeah. And he came back and said, I have to go to school there. That's, that's it. So we put him. He, so he, he just, got, to he just got in the dorms, and we we put him through he was Berkeley. On the dean's list. He was, he was on the dean's list for the last three years. He barely made Scholarship. it out of high school. Well, he yeah. did okay. He was just kind of average student in high school, yeah. but but he was on the dean's he list. Tore it up in uh, at, at Berkeley. I mean, he's, and, he's got a BA in music. I do too. Mine's a bad attitude. His is a Bachelor of Arts degree. <laughs> So is could he, have been worse. Could have been bare ass. You know, I went to I went to college in Boston myself. Are, is he uh, is he a Patriots fan? Was he bummed that he? Didn't I don't get think he even noticed. He's he like so into music. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's, Had he's, to ask that question. It's all music, and that's it. Where did yeah. you go to school? I went to Dean College in Franklin, huh? Massachusetts. Oh, cool. It was a small school. Yeah. He had a he had a girlfriend that was at Wheaton, which is I guess maybe twenty miles out of town. Mm-hmm. You know, and they they would get together. You know. You know, on the weekends and stuff like that. So he, he kind of made his way around. But he was doing sessions while he was there, and he was pretty deep into it. So fun. So fun. Well, I just have to um, tell you, I can only talk about it for a minute, but I am going to talk about it. Growing up, I loved the Chicago 19 album. It was so important to, like, who I became and had such an impact on me. Every single song on that album really touched me. Wow. So I just wanted to say thank you for being a part of that. Um, and you know, even though you're, it's only a small part of your career, yeah. it was important and it definitely made an impact in my life. So I'm glad that you had that part of your career. Well, it was kind of weird because we were looking for a producer uh, and at, our man- at the manager's office, Howard Kaufman's office, he brought in the guy who had just had just produced Heart, right? Uh, Ron Nevison had produced some of these big big records for Heart, and he was he was hot at the moment, right? So he came into into the thing, and you know everybody just figured, well, what's Jason going to sing? What kind of hits are we? Is Jason going to sing? And he walked into the thing. He said, I want that guy to sing. What they didn't know, and what I didn't even know, was that Ron, in his early days, was mixing live for Jefferson Airplane. In San Francisco. Oh wow! And heard the sons a couple of times and went, "That guy's pipes are, are killing me." Next thing you know, he's in a room going, "I'm gonna have him do the do the stuff." So he had me do "Look Away" and "I Don't Want to Live" and uh, "You're Not Alone." Had Jason do uh, "We Can Last Forever," and then I can't remember what. Will else you still doing. love me? Yeah, that was my wedding song. Yeah. Oh. But "Will You Still Love Me" was on eighteen. Well, that was on eighteen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was David Foster. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great song. Yeah, this was Ron Nevison for four songs. 
Was that 18? Chad or? Sanford for the rest. 18 or 19? 19. 19. So you like 19 or 18? 19. Oh, okay. I love 19. That was my album. So was, it was Nevison and you know, Chad? Nevison did four songs and Chaz did the rest. Yeah. To me, that was the best Chicago album was 19. Wow. It had uh, uh, Victoria songs mm -hmm. on it. You were singing no, I sang on that album. We had a few things on that Did album. you sing on that album? Really? Yeah, cool. Victoria's and... Another fast tune, and I think it was one of Robert's tunes. We had you and me, and uh, Chaz, Chaz as an artist had had me and Tamara. Yeah, I, I sang on Chaz's album years before with Bill and Carmen Grillo. So and, he was going. And anytime he would do sessions, he had um, Roger Daltrey, he was producing, and I sang on it and a lot of things. Neat. Whatever he had going on. Very neat. He was our neighbor, too. Our houses backed up to each other. <laughs> So we'd hop over the Yeah, fence. I would, it would take me all of about 30 seconds to get to the studio <laughs> on that particular record, you know, when we're doing that. That's one. convenient. Yeah, it was way cool. Usually She's jazz cooking, was late. you're not late there. for dinner because you're right there. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm swinging. Very cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sitting with me. I know you guys are going to be taking the stage in just a little bit, so I'm sure you want to have some downtime. Well, not for a little while. And, you know. I think we're cool. I just wanted to thank you again for, well, for you. coming on my show and taking some time to talk to me. Absolutely. I'm sorry we didn't we weren't there. So is it earlier. a radio show? It's a podcast. Podcast, cool. Yeah. That is an interview that I will never, ever in my entire life forget. Till you do the next one with him. <sighs> that was just super special. I still have goosebumps. Love that guy. I really do. I really do love him. Really do. Good guy. So um Talking to them was just so much fun and uh, seeing the show and seeing them on stage and interacting with each other, husband and wife on stage. It's always uh, remarkable just to see these marriages last so long, touring, you know, it's strenuous. It's a tough life on the road and they make it work. I couldn't make mar my marriage work, but kudos to them. That's awesome that they make theirs work and they complement each other so beautifully. Mr. Bill and Miss Tamara. So uh, good for them. I, I love those guys. Good people. I really was taken by a song that Bill won a Grammy Award for for co-writing in 1981. And it was covered by George Benson. And uh, he does it so beautifully. And he has several different renditions that he does. But I found one that I really love and I want to share it with you guys. So we're going to listen to that in just a second. Come back, episode 20, we are going to have Mr. John Oates. It's all going to be about the Hall & Oates tour with Train coming up this summer. But we're going to dig into his solo project, Arkansas, on episode 20. Here is Bill Champlin with Turn Your Love Around. You've been hanging backstage with Backstage Pass and Meredith Marks. Now get your ass off the tour bus. This is a big-timing comedy production.